tonight, for a few moments, I'd like to share with us um, on a story from the book of Mark chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, your smartphone, or whatever you use for God's Word, Mark chapter 5, there's a story that takes place there in verses number 1 through verse number 20. It's an encounter that Jesus has with a demon-possessed man. And this concept of demon-possessed is kind of crazy, it's kind of quirky. We don't really know exactly like what it looks like or, or how it happens, if it was partly the guy's fault or he was just going about his day and the enemy kind of came. Like we, the, the Bible doesn't really explain that, but what we do know is this demon-possessed man was, was in a terrible spot. He was in a really bad spot, um, harming himself, harming others. And uh, in Mark chapter 5, Jesus comes up to this demon-possessed man. Jesus has an encounter with a demon-possessed man. And there's some things in the story here that I want to talk about and hopefully encourage us through God's Word with it. But first, I want to read the story for us in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse number 1. Here's what the Bible says. They went across the lake talking about Jesus and his disciples. They were just preaching the Word. There was crowds around them. Jesus was doing great things. And Jesus decided, hey guys, let's leave this party over here. Let's get on the boat and let's go across the lake to the next town. And it says they got there to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. And this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore those chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue this man. So he was, he was, he, he was kind of rough. Right? You guys seeing this. People had tried to bind him. They tried to chain him up and he would break them. And so much so they isolated him now out of the town and they put him in the tombs, in the caves on the outskirts of town. And Jesus comes up to this man. It says, night and day among the tombs and In the hills, he would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. And a large herd of pigs, and this is where the story gets a little awesome. You have to love the Bible. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission, and the impure spirits, they came out, and they went into the pigs. And then right after they go into the pigs, it says the herd, about 2,000 pigs, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town. I could imagine this made many people upset. All the bacon is now gone. And the people went out to see What happened? When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. And now he's sitting there dressed and in his right mind. So before he was isolated in tombs and hurting people and scaring people. Now he's clothed, dressed in his right mind. And they were scared. It freaked them out. They couldn't believe it was the same man. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Don't forget about the bacon. Then the people 
began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Anybody thankful God has mercy on us? says, so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And the people were amazed. Isn't that an amazing story? It's a story that's crazy. It seems off the wall a little bit where and you, you, you had this guy that's so isolated and so broken and so hurting and so just, just lost in, in need of, of something. And Jesus meets him and rescues him. And it said he's in his right mind and he's clothed and he's celebrating all the Lord has done for him. And I think although my story and your story is different than this man, although we were not thrown out of a city because we're demon-possessed, and although we're not, our story doesn't look like him, I think there's a lot more similarities in my life and your life to this man than we think. I think there's also a lot of spiritual realities that are true in this story that tonight I want to highlight just a few of them. You know, here's something I've learned, is that just because you're not aware of something doesn't mean it's not true. All the people that don't watch the Weather Channel, and you just head out, you know, like in shorts all the time, and then you get out, and you're like, man, it's cold. Like, just because you didn't know it was cold doesn't mean it's not going to be cold. (laughs) Something can be true, and just because you're not aware of it doesn't make it untrue. And I think in this story, there are some spiritual truths. There are some spiritual realities that we see in Mark chapter 5 that are true in my life and your life. And just because we're not aware of these spiritual realities doesn't mean they're not true in affecting our lives. And so tonight, my goal for, for the next few minutes is to bring to light maybe a few spiritual realities that can help us in our journey with Jesus. A few different spiritual realities. The first one... The first one I want to highlight is this, and if you're taking notes, and if you're taking notes, just wave at me. Let me see if you're taking notes. Come on, note takers are history makers. Take notes, somebody. The first one is this, the enemy wants to destroy your life. The enemy wants to destroy your life. Listen, everything that God wants for your life, uh, salvation and hope and healing, and and purpose, and joy, and freedom, and everything God wants for your life, Satan wants the opposite. Like if God wants you to be full of joy, the enemy wants to steal your joy and drown you in sorrow. If, if God wants you to live in freedom and, and, and live in, in holiness, the enemy wants you to live bound and in sin. If If God wants you to live a life of purpose where you're making a difference and you're serving others and and you're walking in what God has for you, the enemy wants you to walk in the opposite of that where you're not making a difference and you're not walking in what God has for your life and how he's gifted your life. Anything God wants for you, the enemy wants the complete opposite of that. His goal, his target, his objective in my life, in your life, is total destruction. The enemy has no mercy. Total destruction is the goal of the enemy in my life and in your life. And we see this all throughout the scripture. John 10 verse 10 says that the thief, the enemy, he comes only. He's got one job, right? One job, one objective to steal and kill and destroy. What is the enemy up to? Stealing, killing, destroying. What does the enemy want to do in your life? Steal, kill, destroy. Destroy what? Anything God's doing. 
Steal what? Anything God wants you to have. The enemy wants to destroy your life. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says it like this. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So th- this is the enemy. He's waiting. He's looking. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. So what Peter is telling us, and Peter is writing to Christians that are being persecuted and that are having a tough time and that are scattered. He, he's saying, hey, be alert. Stay awake. Don't be spiritually asleep. Don't spiritually cruise control. Keep your head up. Keep your eyes open. Be alert and stay awake because the devil is serious and he wants to kill you. He wants to destroy what God is doing in your life. And so because of that, stay away. Keep your eyes peeled. Keep your head up. Be alert and of sober mind because the enemy wants to destroy you. You know, if you've ever been downtown, uh, particularly on the VCU campus on Broad Street and Grace Street, you'll know that sometimes um, street parking can be difficult, right? <laughs> the devil is a liar. And so we're, pretty often we're down there and so try to find street parking. And sometimes when you're down there for hours at a time, you know, you'll like pay or, you know, in the little parking meters or whatever or the little app or we'll pay real quick because that's what you're supposed to do being a good citizen and stuff. Sometimes, though, when it's like, it's just a quick stop, you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, I'm just going to run in and grab some food and come back out, you know? Or, hey, just going to drop off a book for something or, you know? You'll try to, like, not pay the, you know? So, I've never done this, by the way. <laughs> so, sometimes you're like, oh, there's a spot, and you're excited. Boom, you pull in. And then, this has happened, again, to, to me and my wife often. She's a student down there at VCU, and uh, often, uh, more times her than me, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. She'll come back out and there'll be a ticket on the windshield. You're like, oh, gosh, you know, you just like, and, and so finally, like, like, I was like, man, they, they're, they're no joke. You know, like, they're no joke around there. Like, they'll ticket your booty in a second. They, and we finally kind of, like, saw how this happens. They have these little, like, BCU campus patrol people in these little smart cars, you know. You know, like, like and they, like, drive around, and they, like, back into the alleys, like, between the buildings and restaurants and stuff. They, like, drive around, and they just park themselves right in there so they can see, like, one, two blocks at a time. And their whole job is sitting there and waiting for me and my wife to get out of the car and leave and ticket us. So once I found that out, one time I just, I was like, oh, well, I'm going to get them. I just parked, and I laid my seat down in the car, and the dude came up, and I was like, ah! You know, like, <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> oh, pay the, pay the meter, people. You know. Look, their whole job is to sit there and cover blocks at a time. They work around the clock because they want to ticket you. They, they want to get you. They want to make money off of your parking violation. Look, they've got one job. And look, the enemy has one job. He sits and he waits and he looks and he wants to take you out and he wants to destroy what God is doing. He is after you. He's got one job. He is focused and sitting and waiting for you to be spiritually asleep so he can destroy the work God is doing in your life. Enemy wants to destroy your life. And we see that in the demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 5. Like, I'm sure this man had a wife and maybe some kids and worked a job and went to the supermarket to get some food and just 
Sure, he was a part of this town, a part of this region, a citizen in the community. And again, we don't know how it happened, but when the enemy came on this man and began to have his way in this man's life, like he began to harm himself and harm others and take him out of society and remove him out of society. So much so he, he wasn't a part of the normal town anymore. He was in the tombs and he was hurting himself and he was hurting others. And this is an extreme example of, of the goal of the enemy is to pull you out of health, pull you out of what God is doing in your life. And we even see it when the enemy goes into the pigs right away down the mountain in the lake dead. Like the goal of the enemy is destruction in my life and in your life. And when Jesus talks to them, he asks them what their name is and the demon-possessed spirits, they, they say, our name is Legion for we are many. And that just goes to show you that the enemy attacks you in multiple ways, right? We, we serve a real enemy, or we don't serve a real enemy. We're fighting a real enemy who, who attacks us in multiple ways. And how the enemy attacks me might be different than how he attacks you. And how he attacks you might be different than he attacks the person on your left or the person on your right. But there are many, and Jesus addresses this, and we see this in him, that, that the, the enemy has many plans of attacks. Many plans of attacks. And, but all the goal is to destroy my life and destroy your life. And please hear me, like, this is not trying to like puff up the enemy or say, oh, he's great or anything. And it's also not saying like, be freaked out and everything is Satan. You know, like students, when you fail a test, you're like, oh God, Satan. Like, no, study. <laughs> right? You're like out walking down the street like a gnat goes in your mouth. You're like, ah, Satan. You know, like, no, no. <laughs> not saying everything's the devil or everything, right? But a spiritual reality I'm trying to make us aware of is that the enemy wants to destroy our lives. He wants to destroy our lives. What God wants, the enemy wants the complete opposite. First thing is the enemy wants to destroy your life. The second spiritual reality is this. Society can't fix your life. We see multiple attempts in this story for people to try to help this man. Like I'm picturing when this first started and the man maybe began to act out or hurt himself or hurt others. Like people were probably like, hey, 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 man, it's, it's, it's okay, let's help him. Hey, like maybe let's not put him in this situation anymore. But then it kept happening. The man continued to harm himself and harm others and lash out and scream. And Then it says that they tried to chain him up, hands and feet, metal chains, Right, so, so this was society's, this was the culture's second solution to his problem. Hey, let's chain him up. Then he'll, then he'll stop hurting people and hurting himself. And so they chained him up, probably in the same town. They probably had an area where, where they chained him up. And that didn't work. He broke the chains. He, he was still harming himself, still harming other people, and they were out of options at this point. Like I'm sure the city counselors and the city people were trying to help and gather and brainstorm. And what, what, what can we do? How can we help this man? Evidently, they were out of options, so much so the people in the town drove him out of the town, and his new home was the cave in the side of the hill. Again, I'm sure these people knew him. He, he had a family. This wasn't what they wanted, but they couldn't help him. They, they tried and they offered solutions, but every solution that they offered didn't solve the problem that this man was facing. 
How funny is it that so often when, when we face problems that we run to the solutions of society quicker than we run to Christ sometimes, don't we? Man, it's so easy to run to what maybe other people say we should do or, or what the culture is telling us to do, but, but it's not often that we run to Christ for solutions to our problems. And here's, here's something that you must know is that the enemy's, the enemy's work in our life and the problems that he causes are greater than the solutions that society has answers for. The greater problems than society has answers for. In other words, society's solutions cannot solve spiritual problems. Society's solutions cannot solve spiritual problems. We all have a serious spiritual problem called sin. And and society may have solutions for that, right? Try harder. Get it, you know. Do, do this, do, do that, talk to this person, you know, go to this thing, try really hard. But the problem of sin and the problem of the enemy is a greater problem than the world has a solution for. You know, for the, for the last like five years or so, I don't know why, but me and my wife's vehicles have had like major headlight problems. Like all the times are just headlights go out. You know, so I have to go and like get a new headlight and they'll just be driving down the road and we hit a speed bump and boom, there goes the headlight again. Or like, I'm dead serious, this is happening. Like, I'm like turning up the radio a little too loud, you know, just like worshiping the Lord during the day and stuff. And boom, the headlight, I'm like, oh my goodness, the headlight's just going out all the time. So I'm frequently at AutoZone or wherever, getting a new bulb, putting it in. And even sometimes when I put it in, it like doesn't work. And then it'll flash on and be like, yeah, and then I'll close the hood and boom, then it's, it's, it's going out again. And just frustration, frustration, frustration. And it's driving me crazy this headlight problem. And I finally took it to the dealer just in the last few weeks. I took it to the dealer. I told him what's happening. And I was like, dude, I'm about to have to get resaved if one more headlight goes out. Like, I'm just, it's just, it's killing me. And, uh, and he, 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 he began to look at it. And finally, he, he just looked up at me. And I had like eight bulbs there. You know, like all the bulbs that I had gone through and stuff. He's like, all those bulbs are great. I'm like, liar. <laughs> they ain't good, bro. Like, like, they're out. He goes, the wiring is broken. It's messed up. Oh, say, <laughs> so, hey, hey you, you, can, you can put in a new headlight all, all day, but if, if the wiring doesn't get fixed, you're still going to have a problem, right? And, and w- when it comes to our sin problem, here's what society offers you, an abundance of light bulbs. Hey, oh, th- this one's this one. The high beam is really good. Oh, this one's lighter. This one's darker. This one stretches farther. This this bulb, try, 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 try. But the problem is not our behavior. It starts at our heart. We we don't need new bulbs. We need to be rewired. And society does not have the power or the solutions to rewire the human heart. Only the grace and the power of Jesus can do that. Society's solutions don't solve spiritual problems. Man, we see the town in Mark chapter 5 tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. And every time they tried, none of it worked because the problem was greater than their solution. And maybe you're in here tonight and you have, you've tried a lot of bulbs and tried and tried and tried and tried. And maybe your problem is not even what you think your problem is. Maybe your problem is a greater heart issue that Jesus needs to do work on. But the good news is that Jesus is in the business of changing hearts. Jesus is in the business of rewiring us. Jesus isn't as concerned about our behavior as he is our heart because when he fixes our heart, our life follows. Man, some of you just need to be reminded, hey, society can't fix your sin problem. Society can't fix your 
heart issues. Maybe tonight you just need to redirect your focus for, for where you're looking for answers off of the culture and off of society and off of what the world is saying and go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need a new heart. I need to be rewired. I need you to do what only you can do because society can't do it for me. Society can't fix our lives. They can only fix the fruit, but not the root. Jesus wants to transform your heart. He wants to get you at the root. He wants to get you at the wires. Society can't fix your life. So the first thing is the enemy. And he wants to destroy your life. And the second thing we see is society can't fix your life. And the third thing I want to encourage you with tonight is Jesus can redeem your life. Jesus can redeem your life. You know, the definition of redeem is this. This is this is dictionary definition. This isn't Bible. This isn't preachy. It's, it's to regain possession of something in exchange for a payment. To regain possession of something in exchange for a payment. Jesus can redeem our lives. We, we, we see in Mark chapter 5, Jesus is not even in this town at the beginning of the chapter. As I said before, he's across the water. He's preaching to crowds. He's doing great ministry. But Jesus decides to leave. He tells his disciples, hey, get in the boat, cross over, we're leaving. And they go to the other town, and they actually go through a storm to get there. So, like, talk about inconvenient. And Jesus told them to do it. Did you know sometimes you could be in a storm not because you disobey God, but because you obeyed him? So they cross through a storm to the other side, and when they get there is where we read Mark chapter 5. Jesus sets this demon-possessed man free. And the man says, I want to go with you. Jesus says, no, you can't. Go tell your family. And he does. And then right after this episode, right after these 20 verses, Jesus and his disciples get right back in the boat and go back to the town where they just came from. As if the only reason they were there was for that man. They, they left the crowds. Like we, we, we sang it tonight. He leaves the 99 for the 1. Mark chapter 5. Yeah, he does. He, he left the crowds to go through a storm to save one lost dude to then go back. It, it, it shows you the pursuit and the heart of God for those that are hurting and broken and need him. That he's not far off, he's not passive, he's not waiting for you to even take a few steps. But before you take one step, God is rowing through a storm towards you. Greater than you hold on to him, he holds on to you. Harder than you pursue him, he pursues you. That this is the heart of God, to go through the storm, to cross the lake for this one guy. It's the heart of Jesus. And he does it, and he gets to the shore, and on the shore is where this man and Jesus have a dialogue. And one of the first things that's said is the demon-possessed man comes, and the demons say to Jesus... They, they, they declare his name, his authority. Jesus, son of the most high God. And if you read that, you're like, wow, these demons like worshiped Jesus and respected Jesus and knew his authority. But in that day, especially when it came to battle and authority, a, a, a battle tactic or a, um, a, a route that people used in order to show authority on someone, in order to try to diminish someone, in order to try to puff themselves up in the presence of someone, was to call out their name. 
if, if I know your name and your heritage and your family's name and where you came from and where you were born, and if, if I know your name back in that day and I came up to you in a standoff and I declared your name and who you were and where you came from, that was not in respect, that was not in honor, that was an attempt to gain authority over you. This is what the enemy does. He, he comes up to Jesus not in adoration and not in worship, but trying to puff himself up and, and show his authority over Jesus. Isn't it funny that he's got no chance? <laughs> comes up and he does that and Jesus isn't intimidated. Jesus is not scared. Jesus does not back down. Jesus does not take a second to get the game plan together. Jesus right away gives one command. He just says it and the demons are out. They're done. They're down the hill in the lake, gone. As, as, as if Jesus wasn't even bothered. Jesus didn't even have to square up. Jesus what was, was so strong, so mighty, so authoritative that the demons that tortured this man and were killing this man and were causing chaos in the town and killed the pigs, all this destruction, and Jesus says, gone, get out of here, boom, done. <laughs> yeah, come on, you can clap for that, come on. <laughs> Jesus just, just does it. The, the thing that was destroying his life, Jesus got rid of and Jesus redeemed his life. And his life was a lost cause. His life was in isolation, but now he is healthy. He is in his right mind and he's back in the town. Jesus redeemed his life. He regained possession of his healthy life by a payment, the cross. He redeemed his life. It reminds me of Colossians chapter 2, verse number 14 and 15, it says this, Having canceled the charges of our indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. Right? Like th- 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 this is our sin problem. We all have charges against us. We all owe a debt that we can't pay. It says, Jesus, he has taken it away. Anybody thankfully he's taken the debt away. Nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. Say, hey, the power of the enemy that was destroying that man, that's destroyed my my life and your life, the, the sin in our life, the power of the enemy, Jesus took it away. He nailed it to the cross. And he disarmed the powers that used to have power over us. The the power that used to be in that man has now been disarmed. It once had power, now it doesn't. The the thing that has got you bound, the, the, the thing in your life where you would say, Nate, the enemy right here in this area of my life, has, has got me. I would say that might be true now, but because of the cross of Jesus, that has been disarmed. The, the power of that has been disarmed. It might not feel like it's been disarmed, and it might be difficult, but on the authority and the power of God's word, you can say that thing has been disarmed because of the cross of Jesus. He has taken it away. He has nailed it to the cross. It was powerful. Now it's not. It's not. Man, what, what area of your life right now does the enemy 
have a stronghold in? What area is he just wreaking havoc in and causing chaos in? And it's, it's just the cycle, and it's the defeat, and it's blow after blow after blow. And, and it, as, as discouraging and upsetting as that is so many times in our pursuit to follow Jesus, I want to declare the truth of God's word over you tonight, that you can stand here tonight before you get your act together and say, that thing has no power. Not because you're awesome or you're going to try really hard and you're going to beat it because you're great, but because Jesus has disarmed it on the cross. Jesus has disarmed the power of the enemy on the cross. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up as we finish. And as I was thinking about this, uh, a few months ago I saw this video online. And uh, there there was this lady, there was this lady in a neighborhood and she, she lived in a subdivision where the speed limit was 25 miles an hour. And people were speeding down this road all the time, like 40, 50 miles, just zooming, boom, 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 boom. She had all these kids. She hated it. She put up little signs, you know, slow down. No one listened. <laughs> this lady, genius, she's my hero. She goes inside and she gets a hair dryer, and it was black. Ours happens to be red. And she stands out in her front yard by the fence and she just points it at cars as they go by. <laughs> this whole video is just... What's crazy is 100% of them, 100% slammed on the brakes and slowed down. 100%. Boom! Zoom, stop. There were people in vehicles whose speed was affected and altered because of a hair dryer. Their route and their time and their arrival was altered because of a stupid, unplugged hair dryer. Something that was powerless affected their route. What I'm trying to tell you tonight is that because of the cross of Jesus, the power of the enemy is nothing greater than an unplugged hairdryer. The power of the enemy is, is nothing greater than, than a hairdryer. It's, it's a tool of the enemy to puff himself up and make himself look like more than he is. Try to affect you and slow down your life and keep you bound and rob your joy and, and steal, steal what God has for you. But because of Jesus, it's nothing but a hairdryer. And you can say, man, because he nailed it to a cross. He took it away. He, he disarmed the power of the enemy. You don't have to be slowed down by the enemy anymore. You don't have to live in defeat. You don't have to live bound. Not because you, but because Jesus has done it for you. He crossed the sea for you. He crossed the storm for you. He gave the command and the demons left for you. This is the heart of our God. He wants to redeem what the devil has stolen. The enemy wants to destroy your life. Society can't fix it. Let's give up that search right now. Jesus can redeem it. Jesus can redeem it. I'm going to ask you to stand all over the room. And 
for a moment of focus and concentration, you can bow your heads and close your eyes. And man, I just want to want to ask you to reflect on what we've heard tonight from God's word. Maybe you've made attempts to solve spiritual problems. You've tried that light bulb and tried that light bulb and tried that light bulb. And tonight you need to just give that up and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to do that. Maybe you can cut off that search tonight. You can call that off. Maybe for some of you, the enemy has got a a stronghold in the area of your life and it's a cycle and it's defeating and it's discouraging and you're exhausted and you're tired and tonight I I, I just want to encourage you and to shift your eyes back to the cross to say Jesus disarmed that thing Jesus beat that thing Jesus conquered that thing you can have victory because of him tonight because of him tonight I want to pray for all of us I want to pray for those of us that the enemy is beating up. The enemy is having his way. And you want to just say, man, tonight, tonight Nate, I, I want to declare that that thing's just a hair dryer, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn to Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn to his power. If the enemy is having his way in an area of your life, I want to pray for you tonight. If that's you, just slip your hand up. I want to see you. Slip your hand up. Slip your hand up. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and my sisters. Come on, would you partner your faith with mine? Let's let's pray together. Father, we thank you for my brothers and sisters. Lord, we thank you for this example in in your word of this man, God, that was hurting and broken and lost. God, but you left one town to come to him. You crossed the sea to come to him. You conquered the storm to come to him. And you defeated what was defeating him. Lord, and I pray that over your church tonight and over your sons and your daughters tonight that you would defeat what is defeating them god that the things that the enemy is 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 using in their life to 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 steal and to kill and to destroy and to pull them away from you god i pray that you would show them the truth of your word that you have taken it away in jesus name you have disarmed it in jesus name you have nailed it to the cross in jesus name and so tonight we stand here in this room declaring that we are victorious god not because we have beat it but because you have not because we are strong enough but because you are not because we are wise enough but because you are so lord i speak victory and i speak hope and i speak healing and i speak lord your holy spirit help for everyone in this room, God, that is that is being beat up by the enemy, God, and we just speak victory and declare victory tonight in Jesus' name.